And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. It's Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle. Today, we're going to be talking about Mexico's e-commerce landscape. And before I introduce today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Mike Begg, welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew, thank you for having me here. I appreciate it and excited to be chatting with you today. Of course. I can't remember where we first met. I don't know if it was an introduction from a referring partner uh, or maybe Chris Freiberg or, or someone along those lines. I'm not sure, but I know we've been connected for a while now and it's good to have you on the show. Yeah, I, I'm happy to be here. I mean, we've definitely crossed paths a lot. Uh, I don't remember exactly the first time either, but you know, when I think about Amazon e-commerce, you're always uh, one of the people that's in my mind. So, awesome! And you're still you're still in Mexico. I am. I live in Guadalajara, Mexico. I've been here for six years now, which is kind of crazy. But wow, that is crazy. That's uh, that's like half of my Amazon journey already. Uh, <laughs> but I'm spending a month in Colombia in November. Uh, so I'm super excited about that. Got a villa and just kind of gonna gonna work out Q4 nice. uh, from down south a bit uh, instead of here in Kansas City and um, taking taking my mom and sisters too for part of it. So we'll just be hanging out. Um, got another Mexico trip I think in January. So you you've got the right idea uh, being down there and and you know something I think when we first met versus now. Uh, the Marknology team is um, has diversified quite a bit to having a lot of our team. Um, they're either in Mexico uh, or Colombia or, or various areas of, of Latin America. So um, I'm catching up to, to the plan you've had for a while now. <laughs> yeah, we've been down here for the first employees we hired down here was 2018. Now at wow. this point, we have employees in Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, uh, Costa Rica, Nicaragua. And we don't have anyone in Colombia, actually, now that I think about it. But, good. I got all the good ones. I got yeah, all the good ones. Apparently you took them all. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was just uh, it was a chance, a chance coincidence that like I met um, our first person there and uh, they were just so good that I was like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to give this a shot. And being in the Midwest in the CST time zone is just an absolute win for us as an agency. We were working with offshore teams um, that were middle of the night or, you know, either we're waking up late or, or early or they're staying up late or whatever the case, you're not at your best, you know? And so finding something that really worked in our time zone has been an absolute home run, but let's back up, um, a little bit from there. Um, talk to me about just Mike, I guess, getting to know, getting to know your story. I'd love to know, uh, I know how, and my listeners know how I got into Amazon, how I got into e-commerce and, you know, it was a journey. It wasn't definitely something I set out to do. I didn't plan on necessarily being an entrepreneur, I guess it's, it's in my blood, but I, it wasn't part of my plan, so to speak. And I kind of just 
fell into this out of necessity and curiosity and ambition and passion around e-com. I just fell in love with it. Where does your story begin? Did you always know you're going to be in business? Uh, did you, you know, was it about travel that, that made you move? Like what kind of got you to, to where you are today? So there's definitely a good story here as well, I think. Um, so originally I'm from Connecticut, uh, you know, went to school in Philly and Long Island, I went to two different schools. But uh, I never was like, you know, I need to have a business. I need to be an entrepreneur. I need to do something for myself. That was never the mentality I had. Um, you know, I played sports growing up. I played sports in college, but I played lacrosse. It was all a team sport. So like it was all about the team accomplishing things. And also because of where I'm from and the sport, like a lot of my exposure was to careers in like investment banking and finance and consulting and stuff like that. And I thought that was the route I had to go down. So uh, out of college, I ended up working at Deloitte for a while in consulting. Uh, absolutely hated consulting for Deloitte. Uh, I was like, all right, I want to switch, go to something different. I ended up doing real estate development for Sears. Okay. So that's kind of where like the main changes started happening. It's like I started getting exposure to the retail world, seeing how things were working. And obviously Sears at the time was failing. So it was kind of a unique experience into this massive retailer kind of, you know, coming to its deathbed on how you're actually going to handle these challenges going forward. So I remember like we were doing projects, we sold off $2.2 billion in real estate. We were redeveloping stores, closing stores. And I was just seeing, you know, people getting laid off, people getting fired left and right. And it was, you know, it's not a nice thing. It kind of sucks to be honest, but that made me realize that there's like no such thing as a secure company. There's no such thing as a secure job. Um, at the end of the day, you're just reliant on the people making decisions to make the right decisions. Yes. And it kind of started occurring to me that like, I trust myself to make better decisions than I trust someone that I've never met. And from that standpoint, I started looking at different options. Uh, originally started doing, you know, KDP publishing, then kind of got into retail arbitrage. Uh, from there, it was like building the first private labels we had. And this was like 2014, 2015. Talk about and, those, like just- yeah. Uh, it's not an entirely Amazon community that is part of the startup puzzle community. So uh, just breaking down what private label is a little bit. Um, and I'm sure that was, I mean, a big part of what you're doing today is, was those private label journeys. Um, 2015 is when PPC came out. So you started yeah. private label 2014? Uh, I think it was, yeah, December. I think we launched our first product December 2014. Okay. Uh, and that was, so we had an art supply brand. And when I say we, it's myself and my two partners now. Um, and essentially, I mean, private label, we were sourcing the products from China. We had a manufacturer putting our own brand on there. We designed everything ourselves and, you know, we were putting it out on the Amazon marketplace to sell the products we were selling, uh, were like dual tip markers, colored pencils, um, what those called easels, like all these different types of like art supplies. And it was interesting for us. We were like. Crayola is the known brand in this category. And like, we shouldn't be doing as well as we are. Like everyone is coming, looking for art supplies, looking for Crayola. And we were like, wow, we're actually beating them in a lot of this stuff. Finding and that's you. kind of where like the eyes opened up. And it was like, these brands don't know what they're doing on Amazon. And from there, it came the whole idea of how can we help these brands succeed? So from there, it, it turned into, all right, well, let's start AMZ Advisors. Let's start doing the consulting side, the marketing side. And luckily, I mean, to start with, we got some really big clients uh, because there, at the time, there weren't many people doing this. And that's really well, what gave When me was that agency? Like when you went from private label to kind of doing the agency thing? 
it was spring 2016 is when we started the agency. So, um, you know, we did about a year, a little more than a year and a half of selling, uh, of, and even more time before that, figuring out the whole private label stuff, but, uh, of actually selling the products on Amazon. And then we kind of converted to the agency from there. Our stores are very similar. Um, I was an e-commerce manager, uh, so a startup and then an e-commerce manager, 13 and 14 selling their products. So almost like private label, the, the automobile parts one was private label. Uh, the toy company was all types of brands like reselling and wholesaling really as well as their private label. And then I started freelancing on the side, started working with uh, Adidas and Suiza and some of those brands on off of Upwork because no one was doing this. Um, it was just yeah. like, you know, I was beating them out with chocolate, you know, like big chips Ahoy or Nabisco with these small mom and pop cookie companies are like, you know, just like little small businesses making them national and winning and being like, what is happening? Like, how is this happening? How am I outranking for chocolate chip cookies? Like you type that in and it was the brand I was selling, you know, and I'm just like, how is this possible? Um, but it was like through that experience of like selling other people's stuff, like really even through the agency where I'm building my own brands now, that's been one of my, my goals, but like learning along the way as we go, just with all of the, the, the scenarios. And you're right. There just wasn't anyone doing what we're doing at that time. There was software companies selling software, like sellers that figured out how to make software and talk about it at conferences and sell it and, and make, you know, being a private label seller a little easier. Um, they were kind of like these private label gurus uh that were running classes or workshops or things like that uh but there weren't necessarily companies or consultants doing it for other people or brands or or retailers or things like that so that was really the opportunity that i'm talking about when i say like being a first mover in this space um yeah the big companies are having to work with companies like you know marknology <laughs> out of kansas city uh simply because there wasn't other people doing it Exactly. And I, I mean, that's how we started too. It was like Upwork. We got uh, some big brands off of Upwork, uh, Plackers, Rembrandt, uh, Neff. Uh, I'm trying to think. Of, we worked with Clorox on some stuff for a little while. Like that, it was like, it was literally the Wild West. It was like, if you were doing the consulting, there was probably like three of us on Upwork and we were probably competing on the same job post all the time. So it was a great experience learning that way. Uh, and obviously working with those types of companies gave us a lot of the fuel that we really needed to get started. Uh, because yeah. without that, like, I mean, we, we were discussing it a little bit earlier, but like, it's tough working with smaller sellers to a certain extent. So having like big companies to really start in a way, like validate your thing, yeah. validating your, uh, if I change this keywords, like with this type of power behind it, like, you know, changing these keywords or SEO or images had big impact versus right. changing it on a Crayola company. That's not Crayola, like, you know, yeah. or colored pencils, like, and it's not Crayola. You've got limited amount of PPC, limited amount of people knowing your products. Like it just takes a lot longer to test everything for sure know, and, know, and, exactly. and be like, this is working. Yeah, exactly. You can do it at scale and you learn so much faster. I mean, that's a, like when we look, when you think about the agency model in general, agencies are so good at what they do is because they're leveraging the knowledge of all the people on the team and all their experiences. So when you have big companies that are letting you invest and you have good people that are continually learning on the platform, the agency becomes more and more valuable over time because the knowledge of the agency keeps growing. And I think that is, like like we said, the big companies are, are, are a big reason that we were able to you know, get to the point where we are and be as successful as we've been. For me, um, I talk about it before on the show, but um, 
I was like white labeled under bigger marketing agencies is really how I was getting a lot of my business on Upwork, yes. right? It's like some company making a ton of money off me probably. Uh, I was making pennies, but I knew if they already had contracts in place with these companies and they were looking for Amazon consultants, like, you know, what, what kind of deals were they making? Um, but Adidas had acquired a, a Fitbit type of company, like a smartwatch. It was called My Coach, mm-hmm. And uh, they were a 1P seller. So also at that time, the people really pioneering Amazon yes. were 3P sellers, right? Um, and 1P had really been, Amazon had been populated by sales reps going out there and contacting the big retailers. And they weren't having to figure out Amazon or e-com. They were just simply filling POs. And then yeah. that meant they were selling on Amazon. It was like just like another retailer on their, on their uh, bottom line, you know? Um, and so it was really the three P sellers are allowing you to do anything creative or outside the box or try things or test. And, uh, but I got a chance to work with Adidas and, um, they had amazing content. So if you know anything about like, you've probably heard about Nike and, and Amazon, they don't get along very well, right? They've kind of boycotted yeah. each other and stuff. Adidas went the other direction, I think, and embraced Amazon um, because they were giving it tons of attention. Even at that time, this was like, you know, 2014, um, it was actually it was 2015 or 16 because there was ppc involved i remember taking a look at their program um but they had amazing photography and design and like video and stuff and so i was building these pages ebc i think it was it was on vendor central or um but other brands didn't have brand registry or they didn't have uh you know they didn't have the content they weren't investing in the content they were doing like giveaways things like that so working with adidas i saw the impact of like wow if i had this really great creative that they did this whole photo shoot for this brand and then i like you know uploaded the listings um and i saw directly the impact like looking at the data i saw the direct impact of great content and copy and that's where i early on like i guess like for the last eight nine years i've been pushing storytelling and content and branding on Amazon um, because I saw the power of that through the big companies and saw really the results and whether I could prove that or not with small private label brands like I saw what happened with Adidas when I did that or different brands like that it was just a big eye-opener for me um, you know with where do I want to take marketology and where do we want to focus and what do we want to be able to solve for brands and do and be able to compete with China and and different things like that when they were starting to push out the private label sellers because they're getting it from the same spot you know um the content 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 and that was from getting an early look as an agency behind you know some big brands so 100 echo what you're saying yeah completely i mean you, you pretty much nailed it all there i think over time what differentiated the brands on amazon was like the amount of investment that companies were putting into it and now it's at the point where everyone more or less understands it like there's still some education piece that needs to be done but back then like no one tried anything yeah. <laughs> like we there's were e-commerce managers much less like someone focused on amazon you yeah know? i mean we worked with a lot of uh, on, uh, we worked a lot on the 1p side too like we worked with neff on 1p we worked on Burt's bees with 1p um some other big brands like that and like you're right any good content made their brand stand out and you know it it was it was really fun like i I don't know it wasn't it was less stressful than things are right now less competitive but uh, again it was just an awesome learning experience yeah i was getting out of my nine to five during that time and being able to work on this stuff and uh you forget it when your years past that moment when you left you know, that company you hated or that company that was like, you know, eating your soul, so to speak, because um, whatever you were doing besides that was um, amazing. Right. Uh, it yeah. was just like, man, I'm, I made a post today on my Instagram about being able to like in the early days, I was like walking to a coffee shop 
owning my day yep. in sweats or workout clothes because I was going to go to the gym after. And I'm like taking calls in a coffee shop next to suits and stuff downtown, <laughs> like a bunch of like, you know, business people and being like, my combo is just as important as theirs and I'm in sweats, you know, kind of thing. And it just being this like gratitude thing of just like, dang, I'm like getting to live life on my terms. This is really cool. Um, and so some of that has passed, you know, when we were really like trailblazing, uh, yeah. the industry, but I still like, it's just, it's evolved into just, I like doing it better. I like doing what I do better now. And a lot of times that means getting to work with brands or partners or sellers that are on the same page in regards to what they want to do to make that better. Like holistic e-commerce. I want it all working together, like a finely tuned machine, like it should. 100%. And, you know, so for me, that's working with brands that have some of that together on the other side or that are working on those things so that my side will also you know, benefit from that or do that. Or um, talking right. to companies, we were talking about talking to companies that have brand managers because then we can yeah. have conversations around content and storytelling and emotional connection that you can't have with someone that's just a tech guy. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like at a minimum, they have to have an understanding of how Amazon fits into the bigger picture or you know where it is within the actual sales funnel. And I think it does become a lot easier when you get to these people that are more experienced that are specialized in brand management or specialized in e-commerce because then you can start helping them see how things tie together. Yes. And when you achieve that is when you start getting more patience from clients, when you start getting better results as a team, and then you can start focusing on the levers that are really going to help the brand grow over time. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a difference than when you're working with like a small private label brand starting up. Yeah, I run this by you. Um, some of it has to do with pricing, right? So yeah. uh, to be at the price point that we need to get the businesses that are like, I need a new channel for sales. It's Amazon. I'm going to go look there. You know, they a lot of them have a pricing constraint around mm -hmm. like how much you can charge for a retainer to, to work on that. Okay. Uh, on both sides. like, um, And so it's not that I don't like working with a smaller brand, the <laughs> sellers anymore or any of that. It's not even just about the revenue. Um, I believe that in order to achieve what we're talking about, there has to be this education piece, uh, almost like you're educating them on on um, Amazon, you know, yeah. um, and not just like slowly on the calls here and there. But it's like, this is why you need A plus. This is why you need PDP. This is why category and BSR matters. This is why keyword rank matters, because at a big company uh, like a Fortune 500 company, et cetera, they're going to be in. 12 different departments they're not going to all talk it's not going to be like a, a private label brand where everyone's in the same room working together on the same thing it's, yeah. it's very much independent department media buying team and the content and the branding team and and so there has to go in all of this work of really just even educating them so then they can be patient and understand what we're trying to do and if you're just operating on slim margins to like you know to get your foot in the door with smaller brands they don't have you don't have that margin built in to spend a ton of time educating you just need to do um, and the same time at the same time when you're working with the smaller brands like you don't necessarily always have the same amount of collaboration and buy-in like at one extreme you're talking about how there's so many different departments that need to be involved and need to have their input and because of that things move slower but it shows that there's a real investment on their part in actually achieving the results i mean there's plenty of small brands where you can go work with them or the owner or maybe they have one or two employees are trying to manage you know 10 15 channels at the same time and they're like hey just handle this for me like just do it if they're not invested in it then like it, it there's no alignment there's no collaboration you're not going to get the best done. results yeah, right. it's like just oh why didn't i get done. my sales it's like well like because i need your help here <laughs> like it's not a one-way street um and i think that again is another reason why 
it's just so much more of a better experience to work with brands that are a little bit further advanced. Not saying that we won't take anyone that's a founder, but you really need that buy-in. And I think that's the most important thing. I, I can't, I couldn't agree more. And for me, um, I think from the outside perspective, there's a small part of me that's like, look, I still like working with a small business. Yeah. I still like, you know, helping someone become an entrepreneur that wants to be one. I still like, uh, you know, educating about private label and starting your own product or building a brand. Uh, but as someone that's responsible for my team and for someone that's now 13 years into this, I like doing more advanced shit. Yeah. Like, you know, I like being around like-minded people that are building stuff that are very technical and strategy, high level strategy, business acumen. And you get that by working with medium size or larger brands. Now, don't get me wrong. Not generally speaking, not everyone is amazing at a medium size or <laughs> large company either, yeah. but there's the possibility of that happening and all of those kind of things playing. It's like, do you want to play in the minor leagues? You want to play in the pros, you know? And so, um, just as we get more expertise in our agency, you know, even keeping young, young people on my team invested in my brand and my business, I got to bring them fun projects. I got to be pushing their, their, their knowledge at work. We got to be trying to do more innovative things. Uh, we just became a TikTok shops, uh, agency partner. Uh, you know, the content team worked hard. We got our foot in the door. We've been running some brands on TikTok as part of the brands I own and, um, got that opportunity. So it's like, it's, it's, it's not that you have to be doing everything, but it's like you have, whether if you're working with brands, if we just keep working with, with small brands that aren't really doing the whole picture thing, my, my people, my team and my best talent are going to be like, well, I'm just twiddling my thumbs doing the same thing over and over. Exactly. And struggling a lot of times failing like so they're like, I want to be somewhere I can win. Well, mm -hmm. that means working with winning teams and winning brands. And so just taking a second to educate kind of like why agencies start raising prices or start going a different direction um, is simply it's like it's the it's the natural flow of things, I think, as you gain expertise and as you kind of understand <clears throat> what it takes to win as things get harder. Sure. Um, I want to take us a new direction and really talk about um, the opportunity that is Mexico. And, and what, there's an Amazon marketplace there. There's also like a lot of your team is there. Yeah. Um, sourcing coming out of Mexico. I've got a lot of friends um, that are involved in bringing those conferences, those manufacturing um, trade shows and things to, to air. So, um, you know, a lot of a lot of chatter uh, coming out of, uh, you know, Mexico, Central and Latin America and kind of what that opportunity is. I'd love to share it on the second half of the show, kind of like what you're seeing being there, boots on the ground. Um, shout out again to our sponsor, Fullscale.io. Finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. So on that, on that note, um, like, what are you seeing there? Like we're based in the Midwest. We all went through the pandemic together, understanding sourcing issues. Let's start with that. And just like, what is the opportunity for e-com, um, in regards to manufacturing and sourcing? Yeah. So I, that's a good place to start because when we talk about e-commerce in Mexico, you go so, so many different directions, but from a manufacturing and sourcing standpoint, we've seen so much more interest since COVID has pretty much happened. China has pretty much been a nightmare for most people manufacturing there. And a lot of the sellers we talked to have had problems switching manufacturing to other places. Now, from our standpoint, Mexico is a great place to manufacture because of the proximity to the US, uh, the time zones, the communications a lot easier than dealing with you know someone on the other side of the world. But there's also a lot of challenges with manufacturing in Mexico. 
first of all, like expectations around manufacturing, uh, quality of product around manufacturing cost, it's not going to be as cheap as China. Uh, and another one is, uh, and this is just something that I personally struggle with, with one of my brands is the cost of packaging uh, is extremely high in Mexico. Um, it, it's more than some the price of some, some boxes of stuff I buy down here. I'm like, how does this make sense? But um, from that standpoint, like if you're going to look at Mexico as a manufacturing hub, I think the best thing you can do as a foreigner or as someone who maybe doesn't even speak the language uh, is to work with a contract manufacturing partner. Because otherwise, if you're trying to deal with these local manufacturers on your own, it's going to be hard. If you're trying to find them, it's going to be hard. I mean, I've like I've been here for six years. I've tried to build a few brands down here. And these manufacturers, they're not online. Like we're, we found them through WhatsApp groups. We found them through Facebook groups, through referrals. And even then, like you're shifting through people because the quality is not good enough. So it's definitely, if you're going to do it on your own, it's definitely a long-term investment to try to find someone versus like, I would work with a contract manufacturer uh, to make it the easiest. One thing I would say though, is that since China has, since the Chinese manufacturing sector has kind of been hit hard by COVID, a lot of Chinese money has started pouring into Central America. Mm. So there's more and more uh, Chinese, I mean, like here in the office building I'm in, there was never any Chinese. There's a whole floor of Chinese now. And there's more and more factories that are popping up. So I think a lot of them have started to realize that because of like geopolitical relations, they can actually come in to Mexico, create better manufacturing processes and be able to take over a larger piece of the manufacturing sector. Here. So it's changing and it's changing fast and it's hard to stay on top of all of it some, uh, sometimes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page as you in regards to contacting a contract manufacturer. Um, a funny story came to mind, but I, I like just kind of creating um, similarities. And I grew up in Africa. I grew up in Congo, moved back when we were 16. Um, and similar, okay, in a lot of ways, uh, people just don't understand this when, when you've only lived in a Western country or like the U.S. or whatever, or, or Europe. Um, there is no real estate website. There is no Zillow.com. <laughs> there is only connections and referrals and networking. Um, every house is behind walls with glass or barbed wire on top. You can't see past the gate, uh, a city of 12 million. So, you know, it's a lot, uh, yeah. city, 12 million people. Uh, Mexico city is one of the biggest cities in the world. Um, I know you're in Guadalajara, but like Mexico city being massive. Um, and to think about it being that big, you're just like, you kind of make these assumptions. Uh, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of the world where, um, that isn't the case and you got to go through human to human relationship and, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, there, there's great opportunity. Um, but if we were looking for a place like to move our compound, it had to be like through the vine, through the vine, you're like putting out feelers, you're filling stuff out. Um, and that's something that you just can't do through the internet. You got to be boots on the ground. You got to be there. You know, you, ha you have for to sure. make those relationships yourself. So. Yeah, it was actually funny. You brought up uh, one of the some of the conferences and manufacturing stuff down here. I think it was last year, actually. Um, I was involved with one of them, and they were looking to do the tour and you know go find factories, but they were having trouble finding factories in Mexico City, and like that's how difficult it is to actually find these people to work with. That a conference that is dedicated to finding manufacturers is struggling to do that. And today alone, like I've had, I've already had two conversations with other people, like. Oh, why is there no Alibaba in Mexico? Or like, why is there no Alibaba equivalent of manufacturers in Mexico? And I'm like, because it's a nightmare to track all these people down 
and make sure that the quality is good, that the communication is good, the expectations are going to be realistic. It is a really, really big challenge, especially, I mean, here in Mexico, I know Mexico better than anywhere else. Um, that is like a massive problem when it comes to finding manufacturing partners. It's always better having someone, you know, pulling the strings for you on the contract side, making sure things are delivered on time. If they're not delivered on time, you're getting money back. So in general, that's a that's usually a better route to go. Speaking of Mexico, but also just Central and, and South America, I did make a visit. I was working with a, a manufacturer that was going direct with their brand out of Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And it was almost the exact opposite experience than what we're talking about. Um, like Costa Rica is known for their just like quality of production, um, cleanliness, like eco-friendly. Um, just they're just very well known for their manufacturing standards. Got a huge tour of the facility. It was uh, a bunch of pet products and human products in two different facilities. One was like, um, they do all the craft beer in Costa Rica. They did um, all of the like cereals. So like frosted flakes, like those kind of healthy cereals. We literally had a cereal tasting. Okay. And you had to drink all of the milk. He insisted uh, because the milk is part of the flavor profile of the cereal. Um, And it was interesting, like these frosted flakes, like after, 10 minutes we had to wait or something they didn't get soggy it was cool That's um, interesting. but but just talking about you know not every country is the same yeah and um that was an amazing experience for me uh and so every country has a little bit of nuance to like you know what they bring to the table or, or not so looking for that opportunity and then also like what kind of products you're selling um you know it might be worth it to go through these hassles for six months or even a year trying to find a manufacturer uh then to dig to go to china and be copied uh instantly you know so you might buy yourself five years of runway or something like that because people aren't copying your products or different things like that um you talked about alibaba i believe um it was some of the carbon six guys like tim jordan um that were doing that i think the event in maybe february or march of this year there in mexico city and uh they were partnering with alibaba i believe um alibaba was kind of sponsoring the event or something to bring it to life so um you the know, irony of sourcing in, in Mexico with a Chinese sponsor. <laughs> yeah, just if I have to go to one country, I'll probably go to Mexico if I have to choose just weather-wise alone um, <laughs> than China. But like it, the short of it is find a contract manufacturer, someone you yeah. trust. Like I'm building my own brands. I haven't gone to China. Um, I haven't been to an actual manufacturing plant to find my products. I just go with a trusted um, you know, contractor that I know of, that I know is, is well-connected has been doing this a long time. So, um, talk to me about some of the other advantages of Mexico. I know a lot of your team is based out of there. Uh, was that just something that you're like, we need to, you know, diversify our team or was it like, I'm going to Mexico, I'm gonna make this thing work in Mexico. Um, what was kind of your thinking, I guess, in the early days? It was, there was never an intention. Like we were going to hire in Mexico when we first came, when I first came down here, um, kind of when we were like, going back to a little bit earlier when we were kind of starting up the company in like 2017, it was actually our second year. Um, we had quit our jobs in like June, 2016. Um, we'd started the agency a few months before we were starting to make money, but we were pretty much living in like family homes. So like when I say family homes, like our family's homes, like one of my partners had a, a family beach house in South Carolina. Um, I had a family beach house in Rhode Island. Um, another one had one in Connecticut. So we were kind of like just jumping around where we could live for free to make the money last as long yeah, as possible. Yeah, keeping, keeping cash flow going exactly. and lean as possible. And then we you know, saved up a bunch and we were like, you know what, let's, let's go do something cool. Kind of like you said, take control of our time. And we were like, all right, let's go down to Mexico. So we ended up in Playa del Carmen. 
Um, after a few months there, you know, things kept going well, kept growing. We started traveling. I ended up in Guadalajara, which is where I met my, uh, my wife. Uh, you know, she's originally from here. And I moved here in 28, 20, at the end of 2017, I moved here uh, permanently. And then 2018, about halfway through the year, you know, we were running into problems, like you said, with uh, overseas contractors or like time zone differences. And I was just complaining about this one day to my wife. And she's like, why don't you just hire here? And I was like, uh, like, well, I don't know. Like, maybe. It's why didn't you work. say that like a long time ago, babe? <laughs> it's like, I don't know about this. Maybe it'll work. Uh, so I had my doubts. Uh, we hired our first employee in August 2018. And we were like, all right, this could work. And then from there, we just kind of kept scaling up. So uh, for us, like, I think there's a lot of great advantages to it. U.S. and Mexican culture is more similar than it is different. I mean, obviously, the language is different, and that's the main hurdle that I think uh, makes people think that it's that much different. But consumer habits are very similar. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Mexicans want things fast. They actually have a preference for foreign goods, which is another great thing for foreign brands coming into Mexico. Um, but in general, that helped us hire people that understood how U.S. consumers worked. And many of them even lived in the U.S. and came back to Mexico. So uh, for us, it was a a great advantage from a content creation style of like knowing what people were looking for uh, from just like the psychological aspects of, of marketing strategies. Like what is someone, how do we position this product differently or like, how do we make it stand out in the category? And I think that was one of the big advantages for us uh, being here in Mexico at the time uh, and why we've hired so much of our team here, but it's also opened up other opportunities for us. So like we've, some of the brands I've been able to start here in Mexico or started producing here in Mexico have been one thing. Uh, we have another project down here in Mexico that we're slowly getting going as well. So it's opened up new doors, which I think is the cool thing. Well, the next time you have a conference or something, I'm trying to come through, you know, so uh, it gets really cold here uh, for a big part of the year. Um, no, but I mean, I think I think that's it's awesome just hearing it because not everything starts out as like, this is our plan. We knew of it for five years. We're going yep. to go get it. A lot of times it's just like you do what you got to do to get through that hurdle. Uh, you know, maybe your planning isn't five years out. It's three months out or five months out, you know, and you're just kind of trying to figure out what's going. I know in the early days when we were launching, when we were launching the agency, it was me, me, myself and I, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, bootstrapped it was in debt from a divorce um, and was just freelancing and was like, I think I'm onto something. And I was real passionate about it, working 100, 120 hours a week, you know, between my day job and this business blowing up. And yeah. but I was trying to get on my feet. And so similar to staying with a fa in a family home, it was like just stockpiling to try to, you know, get, get back on my feet. And um, eventually my sisters uh, left their careers and came and joined me uh, in the early days when I started getting some momentum. So that was my three uh, and they're smarter than I am. So it was, uh, it was a big moment when they came to join me. But also uh, talk about the pressure that probably put on you too. Oh man. Um, you have no idea. Still, <laughs> I still have pressure, but we handle it together and we did go through a war and, and crazy stuff together as kids. So we're kind of just a little bit different than other siblings in regards to just like going through the shit together, yeah. you know, and, and being able to communicate really without even communicating. Um, we just kind of have that that uh trauma bond in a way like you know you just been through hard shit together and you just you know you have this bond so a lot of people can't work with family or siblings and uh i, I see it completely the opposite i wouldn't be here without them I, I know we just went through so many hurdles as an agency that um couldn't have done it if i hadn't been able to lean on uh you know them we had a bigger why than just like the money and and the job you know it's a bigger why we want to take care of the family and, and in doing so we've now 35 employees and 
um, you know, doing the thing. So it's a lot more than just my sisters now, but it definitely started out probably the first four years of the agency was like me, um, you know, more like a consultant, you know, uh, a contracting team. Now we're a full service agency. Like we operate like an agency and, um, never intended to build something like we have. I just wanted to be the best at what we did. And so many people, uh, you know, they think about Amazon. And I think like when you're talking about the founder that's doing it, the thing is, is that there's so much work involved in Amazon. That's not very rarely can one person have all of the skills that you need to be good at a business on, on online, much less yeah. Amazon. Um, so, uh, you know, from copywriting to data analysis, to bookkeeping, to, um, advertising and media buying to sourcing, if you're doing that to, um, you know, uh, all this design and photography to video, if you're doing that, to just develop it's on and on and on, you know, can you imagine a guy being good at data science and also good at like being creative? It's not really a skill set that goes well together. If you're going to be amazing at one or the other, um, I did them all myself to some degree level of skill set, Right. And was just yeah. like, I knew early on, like I have to have help for these things. Like I'm not good at all of these things. And so, um, that just a little shout out to the people trying to do it themselves. Like, listen, this is not, you know, uh, for the faint of heart, like to, to be able to do all of those roles and how to build a team. Um, like you said, I was always just you growing up. I was always team based too. Yeah. Um, I'm not the LeBron. I'm the, you know, I'm the guy who <laughs> the team together, like, you exactly. know, from, from motivation to picking the team to telling us how we beat the enemy to like, you know, and then players are going to go out and do that. And so, um, you know, for me, I spent a ton of time focusing on the team. And I think that just giving a plug, I guess, to what you were saying about the culture and things like that. Um, you know, I grew up in Africa where a hundred dollars a month was a, enough to feed a whole family there. Uh, and I know it's different in, from the Philippines to India, to Mexico, to Colombia, there's all different qualities of life and, and different things like that. Um, but being able to like, feel like you're on the same team and partners with whoever's in, in your team, whether you're a brand that's, you know, going offshore and, and hiring a team like that, whether you're with an agency that's doing that, whether you're, um, you know, just trying to be a freelancer yourself, that culture move is bigger than you think. Yeah. People talk about just giving, like, let's say uh, there's a refugee camp in Africa I'm working with, giving them skills, free comm. And uh, I actually asked if I could do uh, the educational part around uh, the cultural fit. So how to talk to an American company and American employees and what is the day to day like and what is a, you know, a day in the life like of an American in the Midwest at a, at a corporate company. And yeah. because these kinds of things are so, um, you know, different from each other. Uh, not even just the work. It's not to say they're not capable of getting in and doing PPC or things like that. It's simply being able to understand how people communicate here and what their lives are like and what their norms are and things like that. It just really matters, uh, you know, where your team is and how much of that education you have to do before you're on the same page or at least close to the same page. For sure. You know? And it, it does make a big difference. And like when I say that uh, specifically here in Mexico, like the culture is similar, it's more that the younger generations are more accustomed to what U.S. culture. They've got like. YouTube. They've yeah. got social media. TikTok, They've got wherever. a phone. Everyone has a phone, and they're getting. You know, they're seeing how life is like. Um, even if it's through a phone, it's yeah. a lot different than it used to be before. Because I have, you know, I have plenty of friends that work in, uh, you know, multinational companies here in Mexico. All the all the leaders, all the the management, they're all older generation. They have this old. Uh, mentality about how things are supposed to be run and how things are supposed to be working. And like 
most Mexican employees hate it. Like they want to work for a U.S. company. They want that U.S. you know structure, that U.S. feeling. And I think that's like one of the big advantages that we had when we first came down here is number one, there was no one doing e-commerce down here. And number two is like everyone was so miserable with their current work situations. The, the work week in Mexico is 48 hours before you get paid overtime. So pretty much everyone was working, you know, six days a week. We implemented five days a week, 40 hour weeks, like, you know, remote work, uh, unlimited vacation. Everyone was like, what, what, what is this? Like, how do you do this? And it's like, this is what we want to build. Like, this is what we think is fair and what we think it creates it a good be. team environment and what you guys should have. And like, yeah, I mean, it makes a big difference. Like it, it's the same, they want the same as we have in the U S they understand what we have in the U S it's really just a matter of getting them that here, uh, which makes the huge difference from a work standpoint. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's no, um, you know, advantage to one or the other, I guess trying to find the right words to say it, but essentially like the gratitude, yeah. um, that we have with our team that's just in, um, central and South America is unmatched. Uh, you know, I love my, my U S based team. <laughs> We're in Florida and Kansas city the people with us not, that are still with us have been with us a long time. Um, but, you know, as we continue to hire out and you're just looking at what makes a good team, what makes people want to come together and do something unique and special. You want us to build your branding. We can just do it uninspired or we could do it effing inspired. Right. Yeah. And if we're effing inspired, um, you know, the work that's going to come out of that is, is beautiful and amazing. And, um, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do great work. And so, you know, it's about finding people that, uh, you know, our companies or what we've built is giving them an opportunity, not just to collect a wage, but to do something, be part of a team. There's, there's yeah. a happiness that comes with that, you know? And so, um, figuring out what those things are, it's really uplifted our team, uh, working every day with people that are just so grateful to be there. Uh, it's, it's insane. Some of the notes we get, that's just like, I'm not not even trying to toot my horn. Just like it's like it's humbling. It's just like you know you're just like wow, it's incredible. Um, and I grew up in that, but you you also just you know you, you start doing stuff. You start being a founder. There's not a lot of uh, um, it's a thankless job at an agency in a lot of ways, right? There's no one saying like great job. Uh, pretty much, it's only there when you're like, what's next, or yeah. uh, you know, why did that thing happen, you know, or whatever. It's a pretty thankless job. So you either get it from your team or not at all. Uh, and so, you know, having a team that's just positive and happy to be here and happy to be working on fun stuff, like you mentioned, happy to be part of American culture with what we're doing. Um, I think all you want as a business owner is people that are like happy to be there that bring a good attitude and that are going to like try really hard. And I mean, like that's, that's a home run. Uh, and we only have, um, three in Mexico on our team, uh, the, the rest are Colombia. So a little bit different culture, right? But yeah. um, still absolutely amazing. And for us, I don't know about for you guys, but I wanna talk about this like as we close out the show is like, you know, there's still a lot of marketplaces in in, in Central and South America as far as like e-commerce goes um, and Spain and different things like that. Uh, and so now having a diverse creative team and a diverse account team, I feel uh, bilingual we have a lot more skills to, to conquer the the Spanish market, which is uh, as an advantage. For sure. And like, that's honestly one of our biggest focuses, focuses as an agency. And you know, just in general, what we do in the e-commerce space is like, how do we continue to grow the Latin American markets or how do we continue to make the e-commerce experiences <clears throat> better here? And, you know, you, you touched briefly on the markets, like two of the biggest ones are obviously Brazil and Mexico. But Colombia is growing fast. Argentina is growing fast. Like there's a lot of new opportunities that are opening up more and more that we're actively trying to solve for. 
And I think that's, an, uh, again, another example of some of the cool things that we had the opportunity to do. It's like, whatever, you know, uh, for example, let's say Argentina is like Amazon, you know, 2017 or 2015 or whatever, even further back. Like you have the work we're doing or the work that we're trying to do to bring these brands in and get them set up and going. It's going to have a material impact on the quality of life of the people in Argentina and the quality of the, the workers in Argentina that we have. They're going to get involved in something that doesn't really exist now, be one of the first movers in their country doing it, and it's going to set them up for the rest of their career. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really exciting. It's really awesome. No, that's uh, didn't even think about it in that way, but it's absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, for us, like the, the being first mover to like Canada or to the UK back in the day or Australia or Japan, huge opportunities for the brands we're working with and the sellers we're working with, but even bigger opportunity for people that are working with you in those countries. Exactly. Like that's absolutely awesome. And some we'll have to talk about offline because um, we have yet to really crack uh, the code in selling well um in south america uh central south america you know um so we're getting better at um some bilingual stuff especially on the creative side if we're trying to do for both but actually getting in those marketplaces and dominating them we have a ways to go um talk to me just lastly about the opportunity that is like for sellers and brands like you know if they want to reach out to you um you know they talk about amazon mexico there's the narf program i'm not a massive fan of the narf program uh it can be like a little you know, dip your toe in the water, I guess, in a way, but it's not really the best chance of success. Um, what are brands, you know, seeing? Are you mainly working with Amazon sellers in the U.S.? Are you, like, you know, trying to make a push to, to bring them into uh, Central South America on Amazon? Uh, do you work with different e-commerce marketplaces than Amazon in South America? Give me a little color there. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think you... From our perspective, like we're focused on the U.S., uh, that's obviously the biggest platform. But we are bringing more and more brands into into Mexico, into Latin America. Um, the opportunities on Amazon are awesome. Like when we look at and the NARF program is is such a waste. I don't know why people do that, but uh, like we brought one brand in correctly, their margin went up one hundred thirty percent from when they were sending NARF. The shipping times went down. The customer experience, like it makes no sense to do the NARF program. I don't know why people focus on that, but. Uh, apart from NARF, uh, sorry, apart from Amazon, uh, we also focus on Mercado Libre here uh, in Mexico. That's another big market. I mean, if the market share is about 50-50 between the two. So if you're not focusing on both of them, you're like losing half of the potential market for you to reach. Um, beyond that, I mean, there's even more challenges the further south you go. Brazil is like a nightmare for most brands to get into uh, without doing some program like NARF or Mercado Full is the, the global fulfillment side there. So we are trying uh, hard to bring more brands in. We have a pretty close partnership with Mercado Libre and Amazon here in Mexico. Um, and yeah, I mean, if anyone's interested in that, we're always glad to talk about what we can try to do to help them from that standpoint. Awesome. And where can people find you, contact you, follow along your guys' story? Um, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, the two best ways to reach me are either LinkedIn on my LinkedIn profile or my email directly. It's mike at amzadvisors.com. And yeah, just reach out. Let me know you're interested in Mexico and or Latin America in general. And uh, we'll try to find a, a way to help you. I love it. I uh, definitely looking into Amazon Brazil and different things. I've been on some podcasts. Vanessa Hung had a lot yep. of interest in that, pushing in that direction. Um, and I think if I, if I recall, 
uh, a lot of like homes and addresses still in Brazil, or they don't have addresses in Brazil. <laughs> They're like GPS locations. Yeah. So imagine the nightmare that is that logistically, but also one of the most booming economies in the world. So it's a perfect storm for, for some businesses to explode if they figure that out and get over the hurdles, you know, uh, of getting into those markets or being there first. Um, just what an opportunity. Um, I can remember being in Congo and once in a while finding like cooler ranch Doritos at a shop or different <laughs> things like that, that were just like, you would buy all of them. Like yeah. you'd buy all of them and hold them for six months. Like, you know, so those opportunities probably exist in e-com as well. Like, you know, getting products into those markets, they're not used to seeing them and just being like, oh, there's a lot of expats there uh, alone that could be buying goods, um, whether it's like the locals or not. So yeah. I can talk about this forever because I'm just passionate about it. But um, it's been awesome having you on the show, Mike, and, and, and sharing your knowledge with us. Awesome, Andrew. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always uh, fun chatting with you and, you know, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Yeah, I know this is, uh, I think, your third of the day. So really appreciate you closing out the day with us here at Startup Hustle. Um, and shout out again to our sponsor, Fullscale.io. They have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. If you're looking for software engineers, testers, or leaders, when you visit Fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions, let the platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced team of engineers, testers, and leaders at Fullscale. They specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit Fullscale.io. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Hustlers. We'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.